A Christian mind is not one that is trained to think only about Christian topics. It is a mind that has learned to think about everything from a Christian perspective. We have to understand God rightly to know him intimately. It is the gospel that orients my thinking on every other issue. You can know if you're trusting in Jesus that every single atom in this universe is working for your good. That's why I'm sticking with Jesus. Not because he always does what I want him to do. I'm sticking with Jesus because I just haven't found any better alternative. Uh, <laughs> take two. <laughs> take two hey guys you're listening to episode 76 of the black Bureau podcast we're in a virtual studio to quote kingsley my name is mary and i'm in the room with dami and kingsley how you guys doing uh good thank you um yeah, yeah good to good to be back I, I can't remember the last time i was on the pod um but i have been enjoying the um pods in the intervening period mm-hmm. um you guys have been doing a, a great job on the um Church in the Wild series. I feel like that series has had so many different names. We definitely were calling it <laughs> it's different things. It's had two names. Um, has, what, was, what was the other name? Life in Lockdown. Like, okay, cool. I yeah, don't know why I, I was thinking why. it was like a third name. But anyway, yeah. Um, doing well. In a strange way, kind of excited to be on this pod, but also like, yeah, we'll get into the content, I guess. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Kingsley, um, how are you? Yeah, Mary, I'm good. Um like damn, I'm just I'm admiring that that commitment to to marketing the podcast. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, no, all all good on my end. Um, and yeah, similarly excited to sort of uh, you know talk about the life and legacy of DMX. To be honest. Okay. Yep, that's what we are talking about today. We are going to be talking about L. Simmons, also known as DMX, also known as Darkman X, who passed away. Um, I believe it was the 9th of April. Um, from a reported heart attack, um, he was fifty. And for those who don't know who DMX was, he was he was a rapper, released tons and tons of music, maybe six to seven albums. Um, was definitely reigning early, late late nineties, early two thousands. Um, and yeah, guys, what were we talking about, DMX? Um, I, I mean, just this this was a a thought that me and kind of Kingsley were having in conversation. Um, Actually, prior to his passing, we were really hoping, and as I'm sure so many people who are, who may be fans of the pod or just fans of his music in general, were hoping that he would pull through. Um, and just in conversation, we were just uh, lamenting un- his unfortunate passing, um, the circumstances surrounding that. But thought it would be a good idea, particularly because um, in DMX kind of music and his public life, there were definitely kind of um, undertones of um the christian faith um dispersed throughout i mean from 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 the first album we're talking as early as um it's dark and and hell is hot um and he he increasingly i think as he became older uh, made a more public showing of his faith with um that kind of praying on kind of instagram lives and um, Mm. and kind of you know um his so his 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 praying on Instagram lies and his public reading of scripture. Um, I'm sure many very many people remember the the reading of Ecclesiastes three. Mm-hmm. Go, mm. um, so yeah, we thought it would be helpful to just kind of sit down, discuss his legacy, um, his life, some of the issues I guess that some people will be thinking through because a, a lot of people. Um, I mean, we we got um, Paul who's written a couple of articles for the Berea, um website. 
um, actually messaged us about a tweet that he had seen. And a lot of people had basically been discussing the kind of public facing nature of DMX's life and how kind of raw and, um, and kind of, I don't, do I say up and down it was, um, mm. just in terms of his battles with um, drug addiction, um, his run-ins with the police, etc. Um, and just kind of seeing the very um, difficult um, path that he was he was on um, as somebody who was um, a professing believer. Um, and so we thought it would be helpful to kind of just think through some of the stuff that we've kind of seen um, from him um, and help people to just kind of rationalise some of the issues um, that were a feature of his life. Mm. I don't know if you have anything else that you kind of want to add on that. Yeah, no, not particularly, Dami. I think um, I would just echo those sentiments. Um, it would be interesting to hear um, from you both, actually, how you sort of first introduced the, to DMX and his music. Um, yeah, I'm happy to go first on this one, I guess. So if anybody uh, knows me, um, you know I'm, I'm heavy into rap, um, <laughs> heavy, heavy into hip-hop, and not just kind of any rap. Um, I like, like the hardcore um gritty stuff with with stories um i like the i like the come up the struggle um stuff that's what i like to hear because to me sometimes that's where the most kind of poetic rap comes from um it's bar heavy um so yeah if you kind of know my catalog which you don't have to get into on the pod um, or if you see my kind of spotify playlist um you kind of you have a have a feel for the type of stuff and and people who i've listened to kind of historically and and some uh, still now and DMX definitely um falls into that category interestingly enough I, I almost feel like my my earliest memories of listening to DMX were were pretty short-lived um and I this is partly because I remember almost as gosh we're going back to kind of early 2000s because I, I think as, as Mary alluded to he had a very strong kind of first year. He released two platinum albums in 1998 um, and then followed them up with, and then there was X, I think, in 1999. And I think, like, his first five albums were were all Billboard number ones. Um, but for me, I remember listening to um, the, first, the first album, probably around kind of early, mid-2000s, because um, that was... That was a time where I was kind of, we were, yeah, we were still, I say we were still, I'm thinking of like myself and my cousins. Um, I think we'd, we'd listened to like, we were listening to at that time, kind of 50 Cent, Jay-Z's, um, DMX also. So I, I heard his album a few years later. My, my uncle was a big collector of of, um, of vinyl and records um, and he was a massive DMX fan. But the reason why I say it was short-lived is because Actually, fairly shortly after that time, <laughs> in church, I'm sure so many people uh, hearing will remember this. G. Craig Lewis released um, "The Truth About Hip Hop," hey. and I remember being a, a young man in in church at the time. And almost as soon as I'd basically discovered like the early part of his discography, was basically watching that in church and and faced with a decision whether or not I would continue kind of listening. Um, or drop it out. So I remember watching that video, um, kind of being, yeah, spooked into, you know, the whole kind of the discussion in there about the Illuminati and basically how 
rappers and hip hop artists, including DMX, allegedly had had um, you know crossed over to the dark side. There is some actually some um, some discussion about whether the, the name Darkman X originates from his choosing or whether that's a title that has just been labelled um, with him. Um, but yeah, I remember I think. <laughs> Pretty much that Sunday or whatever, or a Sunday after hearing that um, truth about hip hop, all the catalog, all the Tupac, the Biggie, <laughs> everything that I had, and I dropped bin. it all out. Uh, <laughs> and I don't, I wouldn't even, yeah, I wasn't a, I wasn't a person of faith at the time. Um, but I, I think in one sense, I'm looking at back at it, I'm saying, do you know what? In one sense, it's good to have a sense of conviction. Um, if you think that something, and now I'm looking at it as it, actually as it, as a person of faith. Um, if you have the conviction that um, something is not edifying for you um, and you think it's kind of more honouring to please the Lord, then absolutely um, be prepared to drop it out. But that's that's how I was introduced to his music. I I grew up in a in in a family who were who were rap hip hop lovers. My uncle collected CDs. Um, it was it was the the era of baggy jeans and new era hats. Even in London, I remember. I didn't mm. have an Avex jacket, unfortunately. But um, I had, but you, had John. you had the hat and jeans. So I've seen I had the hat and jeans. I I had what New Yorkers would call the butters as well. Not they are the Tims. <laughs> okay, do you have the you have Fubu? Do you have the Fubu? Of course, I had it all. Pele Pele, Rockaway, Iceberg, I was, Iceberg Slim. Uh, nah, oh, okay, okay. <laughs> I wasn't really rocking back then. I wasn't really rocking with the UK rap too tough. UK yeah, rap yeah. kind of came a few years later. Um, but I was very much my my. My musical compass was very much based in the kind of East Coast, mm. um, New York. You must have looked so out of place in London. <laughs> yeah. I know, strange. Listen, in my in my church when I was growing up here, I, there was a rap crew rap crew called C Unit. <laughs> C Unit, as in Christ Unit. As in Christ Unit. I love it. <laughs> and, you know, every, everything they listen they were i guess they were copying what they were seeing on tv like that's a whole other discussion but actually no it it wasn't it wasn't out of place i guess for where we were that's who we were listening to mm. we were dressing like the people who we saw on music videos and stuff like that so actually yeah even though it was east london still very i think i think quite similar i think quite similar there may mm. have been a few more kind of quirks Probably like Lot 29 and them kind of things were coming in here. Academics. Academics oh, yeah. tracks you, so exactly, exactly, exactly. The vibe, the vibe. Mary, how about you? Yes, yeah, similar. Um, so I was introduced to DMX with my older brother. So I've got two older brothers, but my oldest brother was just a big hip-hop fan, constantly tapes, CDs. Um, and I remember, yeah, he, he would put on DMX. He was, he was a big fan of DMX. And I don't know, growing up when I was like 9, 10, DMX used to scare me. I remember like the cover... I remember his content being so dark. Um, but if I think back now, he was probably one of the only rappers I listened to who had some spiritual undertones. Mm. So I, I remember listening to, I remember even the title was, he had a song called Damien. And I was thinking, oh, that's the devil. And, and the song is essentially him going back with the devil who's trying to like lure him into living a life of sin. And, and DMX is, is almost considering if he should go that path or not. Um, and yeah, I remember just, thinking this guy is such a dark character and then his obsession with dogs and yeah how he was able to to show um how complex he was in, in terms of his you know thinking about the, the street life or thinking about being a rapper but also thinking about whether he should go the path that seems you know like the the, the wide road or if, if he should go another way um 
and yeah, that's that's how I was introduced to, to DNMX. And and over the years, I just you know followed his career, and I knew he was struggling with drugs, crime, um, prison, and I don't know it's, if you know DMX and if you follow his his life and listen to his interviews, he's such a personable character that it's, it, you almost root for him um, because he just seems like a very genuine person, and not not just him, but you know mm-hmm. Rough Riders and the crew that comes out from it. Um, mm. And yeah, and it, I just followed his career even when I wasn't really engaging with his music, um, just because I, I remembered him when I was younger. Kingsley. Yeah, uh, I've I've been trying to think about it, and I'm I'm not entirely sure that I remember because I'm mm. I'm thinking back to the first couple of albums, and that's 1998, and without giving away my age, um, I was certainly like primary school aged at best mm-hmm. when yeah. those albums were coming out. Um, <laughs> nevertheless, I still remember kind of listening to to Rough Riders anthem. Um, so I'm just, I'm just I'm just yeah I'm just not really sure how that kind of how that worked for me and you know the thoughts I was processing at the time I I, I certainly think there was like a big at least in my mind there was a big hiatus um from releasing albums um in the early noughties to maybe even it maybe even the late noughties maybe the 2010s if, if I'm getting my maths correct um but it was actually in that period of time where I think I spent you know more time actually listening to to, to DMX's music, um, which is which is like partly when I was listening to Dami kind of recalling his upbringing and like you know his introduction to some of these things. I'm thinking, brother, were you not like eight, <laughs> nine years? <laughs> Don't mind him all. Hey, listen, life, Where- life is. Life, let me not, let me not disgrace my parents. My life was great at eight, but um... wearing Tim's at eight. <laughs> <laughs> I had been to America twice by then. Oh wow! Cool. Cat. And we had yeah, we had we had family we had family friends in New York. So I, f- I actually think I actually think that impacted it. So it was actually visiting the city as well, mm. and then that influenced. So like I go there, my cousin's like because my cousin was selling new era hats at the time. I remember it so really. He was like, when you go to um, oh, I forgot what the name of the sports store is. Like, listen, just buy me a box of these. It's gonna come back, and he's selling them. Um, but yeah, I, I actually I think it was the visits and then just having older family members who were heavy into heavy into rap music who were just mm. kind of yeah um who got me into to listening to that stuff um and yeah i think i think because the influence on um that people who i looked up to i guess it like inside the church and they were just kind of closer family and friends um that's how the the interest in that music and the, the dressing styles kind of stayed with me. Um, mm. At least at that time, you, you, won't, you won't catch me dead <laughs> in five <laughs> now. <laughs> but, um, but, certainly, but certainly at that time, and I, I, and I think actually it was funny because I was having this conversation with with um, Kingsley maybe like a couple of years ago. And I think it was at a time where I, was, I watched a video of DMX basically explaining some of his most kind of historic records. So he was talking about Rough Riders Anthem, um, like party up um, and stuff like that and I was just saying like on reflection going back and listening to those albums I was saying to King like I actually think he's kind of he's one of the all-time greats not just in terms of what he's done in kind of album sales but as you've I think alluded to Mary just in terms of the storytelling element um, in his albums and the kind of the complexity of him as a person as expressed in his music um, it was one of the things that I think I really appreciated 
um, as I grew older and and started to grapple with the content of his music. A lot of the time, obviously, when you're younger, it's just sounds, and you're just you're you're mimicking the people around you who who enjoy it. Um, so perhaps you're not even kind of deep in it and taking in even some of the imagery that you were saying, for example. So like the flesh of my flesh and blood of my. I never thought like there was anything kind of untoward or sinister about it. So I, I never really even reckoned with that. Perhaps until like okay, it was kind of introduced to me while I was in in the church context, mm. or as I grew older and I understood his personal history um, and he kind of shared that more publicly, then you started to realise, okay, this is where uh, this content comes from. This is the the pain. This is the the trauma that has opened up, um, you know, some of these kind of what, what we might consider kind of darker stories, some of these darker um, raps. So I, I think I think that was yeah there was there was certainly a, a an appreciate a different a change in the way that I was appreciating his music obviously as I grew older and was able to understand the content more um, and I think actually one of the interesting things that would be would be worth kind of discussing on this was something that he um, he shared in an interview not too too long ago I think he was on the podcast with. Um, skips me it wasn't it wasn't drink champs it was something it was another podcast but he with, was basically um, Talib with Talib Kweli that's it yeah. um, Talib Kweli um, and he was on there basically discussing um, which what I think is a very tragic story um, of him as a as a young teenager um, I think age 14 where he I mean in his personal life he had been in and out of um, young people's homes I think as a young person, he he had already started getting into kind of crime. Um, grew up in, I think, Yonkers, um, New York, although he's originally from Baltimore, Maryland. And as he was starting to get into kind of rap music, was introduced to some figure uh, who he kind of looked up to as a kind of senior person. Thought that person was a mentor, kind of looked out for him, had his best interests at heart. Um, introduced him to um, marijuana. And... Unfortunately, as DMX explains the story, um, latterly came to find out that actually the marijuana that he had been um, smoking with this individual was laced with crack cocaine. Um, and it was a very kind of heartfelt um, discussion of his upbringing on that podcast. Um, and you actually hear him break down. I think we'll, we'll edit the clip in so you can just hear him kind of talk about it. Um, but as you... As you guys kind of watched that clip and you thought about it, were there kind of any immediate um, thoughts that came to your mind about kind of just processing um, trauma in your childhood or or how that kind of impacts a person's life or perception or even the music that you were hearing from him? So he came back with a blunt rolled up. And as I'm counting the money, he likes the blunt. And I said, I, I was impressed. I really smoked it. And he passed the ball around, and, um, wow. Mm. Mm. And I hit the blood, and I'm like, like, I was no longer focused on the money. It, 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 I never felt like this, like, it, it, I'm like, I later found out that he, uh, he laced the blood with, with, with the crack. Mm. My thing. Mm. 
why would you do that to a child? Right. And this nigga, like, like, like 30, you know what I'm saying? And he, and he knew how I looked up to him. Yeah. <laughs> he knew how I looked up to him. You know what I'm saying? Um, yeah, I think when I watched that interview, it was, um, oh, when I watched that interview, it was heartbreaking because yeah, when, when you're watching the, the video, this is, this is, um, DMX recounting something that happened 30 years earlier, but the pain is still so present. Um, because I think he, he says something like the monster was, awo- was awakened. And it's, it's this, mm-hmm. it's this, men- he, he mentions it as if it's a, an ongoing battle, it's an ongoing temptation. And I think for a lot of us, a lot of our sin struggles, um, sadly can be traced back down to trauma. Um, so you, you could imagine someone's struggle with pornography may have begun because they were introduced to it at a young age through an older person. And, it, and it's, it's such a shame to see um, kind of present uh, struggles being introduced at such a young age. And and I think when, it made me even rethink um, well, how I thought about drug addiction, because for so many of us, we look at drug addiction, like, why can't you just stop? Like, why can't you just like stop taking drugs? Like, this is ruining your life. Um, you're in and out of prison. You're in and out of, 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 of rehab. You know, you, you can't, you, you're... You're, it's hard for your family to see you go through this. You're hurting so many people, but I think DMX was was able to really explain that this is a a, a battle that, almost like in a Roman seven, like you know what I don't want to do, I I find myself doing. And and for me, you know, seeing this and seeing the, the fact that he is someone, you know, in the latter years of his life, or you know, yeah, latter years of his life, you know, re re um rediscovering or coming back to faith and and, and him seeing that as as a constant battle that he faced um so yeah it, it was a tough interview t- to watch um because it he has an overdose which leads to his death so it's it's actually something that even leads to his end so yeah mm. it, was, it was so painful to to watch that and to see him still struggling with something that happened in, in his in his early childhood yeah no. yeah sorry kings were you about to chime yeah, in i was gonna yeah chime in and just say that that point around um the distance from the event had been decades and yet as you say like the, the the pain was still very present real and um was yeah was felt almost as if he had entered back into that moment um but with the perspective of um being able to look from it look at it from the outside um i think one of the things that almost came to mind as i was um watching that clip and i, I watched it again a few times um one of my favorite writers is uh, Tahanesi Coates. I, I'm never sure how to pronounce his name. It's one of those issues that you have when you read books and um, you read words that you've never sort of heard pronounced out loud and it's similar with his name. But um, he, he wrote a book called Between the World and Me, which is, you know, top five things I've, I've ever read um, across different literature. And um, it's, a, it's, a, it's basically a book he writes to his, his son, his teenage son, um, almost as a as a a memoir of his life and his hopes for his son and <clears throat> the struggles of race in America, um, and there's there's a certain section which like I almost you know I it was it was almost as if he was writing something that like he was talking about my life and I don't think that's unique to me I think it's unique to many of us um, in that he speaks about um, to survive the neighborhoods uh, that he grew up in. Um, and to shield his body, he learned another language consisting of, you know, basic compliments like head nods and handshakes and, um, you know, learning that when someone says, shorty, can I see your bike? It was never a sincere question. Or when someone says, yo, 
were you messing with my cousin? That wasn't, again, a question. It was actually someone saying what the facts of the situation were and learning actually certain parts of the neighbourhood not to go to and um, thoughts like that. And he, he, he talks about it as he recalls learning these laws clearer than learning colours and shapes because these laws were essential to the security of his body. And as I listen to that DMX clip, I, I think about actually um, sin um as sin has ha, is something that that takes from us right in a perfect world that experience never would have happened and that experience took from dmx's childhood it took from his experience of being a boy um, and it affected his manhood all the way through and i think that's something that like i empathize with because you know when we come from you know certain contexts um that's one of the effects of sin being a part of a community um it takes away from your ability to experience the the whole the wholeness of your humanity and the wholeness of the various experiences that you know um god would have for us and so when you think about a 14 15 year old person being introduced to one of the most potent and dangerous drugs that there is um i also think about it through the lens of um sin robbing him of the childhood that he ought to have had um, the childhood where he ought to have been able to express, you know, the commonalities of what it means to be 14 and 15 and 16. Right. It's like playing football with friends or getting your first crush. I don't, I don't know, but just his childhood was, was robbed. Right. And yeah, that it just, it just makes me think of how much sin has taken from us generally. I think, I think that's a very um, helpful consideration. It It actually reminds me of a, um, I don't know if I call it an anecdote or an illustration that Israel has, I've heard him using a couple of sermons. Um, you guys might remember this because um, I'm sure you were there when I was listening to those sermons as well. But essentially, some like I think it was like a group of Christian missionaries went out to um, a region in, I think it was like Southeast Asia. And whilst they were there kind of, you know, basically trying to share the gospel with a group of um Southeast Asian women who were prostituting. I think one of the the issues that he found in trying to communicate with them was that some of the other missionaries who were present with him um, seemed so kind of hell bent on labouring their sin um, in prostitution, um, but that didn't actually realise that there was kind of sin occurring to them, um, in the sense that there was a system um, operating around them um, that involved them being pimped out by these men. Who were taking money from them and and um, basically abusing them um, for their rights to kind of live and survive, and it just made me think when listening to um, DMX tell that story of Israel's sermon illustration that yeah, sin. The reality of sin is that even though we may commit sin, sin is also kind of committed against us, um, and there's this kind of strange uh, victim perpetrator axis that if we're not careful when we think about. Um, for example, somebody like DMX, whose you know whose life we we can't wholesomely applaud, um, we miss out, we miss the fact out that actually he was also the victim um, of somebody kind of um, abusing his trust uh, yeah. or or their or, yeah or their position of kind of power or influence over him, um, which was which was obviously to his to his detriment and and like Mary says, un- unfortunate. Um, a causal factor in in his in his death, um, and I think when just kind of thinking more broadly about addiction, because it, it's a hard 
um, conversation to have with Christians. I think Mary made the point that sometimes, and I think I've even seen this in seeing some of the kind of online reaction to DMX's death. You know, you might see somebody make a tweet, you know, popular Christian um, making a tweet about DMX, you know, a simple something as simple as kind of rest in peace. And then no doubt social media, you've got people in the comments who are referencing the drug abuse and addiction and stuff like that um, as evidence of, of you know, uh, uh, a bad character or um, a distasteful life um, without actually necessarily appreciating the context that led him to make those bad decisions. And I don't think the point is to necessarily kind of absolve him or anybody who struggles with, in particular, say, drug addiction um, of their responsibility, because I, I do think that even whilst people are addicts, they are choices. So in, they, they make choices. So in some sense, um, they're in control of what they do. But then there's another sense in which they're, they're actually enslaved to a substance or um, some something external that is controlling them. And so and so they lack that element of control. Um, so it's a far more nuanced consideration, I think, that Christians need to give to the nature of addiction than it's just kind of one and done. Oh, for, you know, this person has abused drugs, therefore um, we don't necessarily kind of um, demonstrate grace towards them, if you understand what I'm saying. Yeah, 100%. Mm-hmm. Um, and on that, you know, social media point, um, I, I do think it's, it's it's incredibly disheartening when that person's first response or at least the first response you see when you read a tweet or a post on Instagram is is that kind of response without reckoning with the pain of death and loss. Um it's it, it, it almost I think sometimes we if we're not careful, um we can we can lose we can lose our sense of the horror and the unnatural nature of dying and death, um, because it almost because it happens so frequently, um, yeah, that, that sometimes we can almost be desensitized to it. But it, we like we, we weren't meant to die, um, and yeah, I, I don't know that we always kind of like appreciate that that when when a person dies, that's that's a that's that's one of the you know one of the most sad things that you know we can we can actually experience as human beings to see to see a person die and to know that one day you will die too and i think there needs to be a greater degree of recognition for um the humanity um of people and the image of god in people when we're speaking about these things and to have a greater degree of sensitivity i think the point you make um re-referencing um that illustration is is also you know particularly pertinent um in in how we we think about how how we think about actually you know the nature of um gospel work right and it's it reminds me of Spurgeon's famous quote where he speaks about um preaching the gospel to I think someone who may be homeless and having the bible in one hand and having um a sandwich in the other and the significance really there of um ensuring that as you are attending to someone's soul and eternal needs that you know you're able to minister to the extent you're capable to their physical and temporal needs both need to be interacted with both need to be cared for even if one has a greater significance eternally than the other 
um, it'll be, it'll be, I guess, Mary, one of the, the things I'm, I'm, I'm thinking as I'm kind of, you know, talking this, this through and, you know, um, listening to some of the points that, that, that Dami has said, um, is how, how do you think, um, the, ch- the church can, can be a, a home for, for people who experience addictions, um, and to be a place of, of restoration where, where, where do you see the church's church's role in that mm, that's a really good question um yeah I, I think it's um some of the things we've said uh like understanding that addiction is 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 a struggle um it's a constant temptation you know, there may be a time of recovery there may be a time of relapse um and depending on you know the, the community there and the support they, they're going through it, it can you know there could be greater temptation so I, I think if you if you were if you were part of a local church and you had someone in your church or someone who had come into your church who seems to have drug issues yeah you you really want to support them of course you want to offer the gospel to them but you also want to partner them partner with them in seeing any sort of external agencies um that can support uh specifically to kind of drug addiction um i think opening homes because when i when i think of um when i think of those who are really struggling with drug addiction usually there's there's a bit of they're out of work they may be homeless they may be in, in shelters and i think hospitality and, and being able to open your home to support these people and, and it comes with sacrifice I think sadly you know we, we can look at and, and it's even something I was listening today about how Christians should be so um so willing to be associated with the lowly and I think when we look at those who are you know drug users we can look at them as if oh you guys I just can't fix your life up as opposed to saying how can we support them and I, th- I think Christians should be um finding multiple ways to engage with those who are struggling with with drug addiction um i'm sure there's there's countless charities out there that we can partner partner with um but no i i think it's, i think it's that and I, I think more more most importantly there is there is a i think at the moment there is a lot of people that we know who are kind of recreational users you know who may go out and party from time to time and use one drug or another and, and they and they may just stay there you know you may have someone a colleague at work who high pressured moments may result to one drug and and that's all they do but you never know if that that recreational use becomes permanent or it becomes something that's overwhelming and I think as we're as the years are going by as we're getting older I think we're, we're knowing and we're seeing more people actually being drawn into this lifestyle where it's actually becoming addictive and I think yeah I think we, we need, to, need to be mindful of finding ways that we can support them and, and offer the gospel to them. I think Mary um, makes a, a helpful point particularly because um, there are some kind of chemical and physical components to addiction that I think probably scare Christians and make us weary of wanting to intervene where we see that somebody may be struggling mm. particularly with something like um alcohol yeah um, addiction or hard drugs um and sometimes that you know not necessarily having the might the right uh medical vocabulary or clinical vocabulary can be quite off-putting and make you kind of want to shun um, your responsibility, particularly in the church, if that ever, if that should ever arise. But I, I do think it's also helpful to just take a step back as a Christian, and um, as well as almost kind of offering a medical or a clinical diagnosis, we we at least we are at least able to take a step back and just see that yeah, the impact that kind of sin plays in. 
the nature of addiction. Um, so we've already said that there's there's different circumstances that can lead a person down this road. And in DMX's case, for example, they were tragic. He was introduced to, um, you know, crack cocaine as a 14 year old child. Um, there are some people who who might have who might even develop the addiction as babies in the womb. Um, it can start as early as that, and so in one sense, that isn't a, that's not a conscious choice that they've made um, to find themselves addicted to it. Now, now what they do kind of moving forward after that, yes, they, they ultimately have kind of responsibility for, but I, I guess in, in one sense, and I, and I don't want to, I don't want to make this a, a, a one case for all, but I think in some context, you might understand addiction um, in the same light that you kind of understand idolatry. Um, so this is kind of like a thought experiment, but um, yeah, chime, chime in if you, see differently at, at, at junctures but I was just kind of thinking like mm. our hearts as um unregenerate people are bent towards um things or experiences ultimately you know like when you hear people kind of speak about using hard drugs for example I remember a friend explaining to me the first time that they tried um LSD I think it was LSD and they had a trip and um he said to me that basically he was just seeing the world in different colors and um he actually started speaking japanese now, i wasn't there to kind of wow. verify speaking in tongues wow <laughs> i wasn't there to verify the veracity of, of that statement like i didn't say nah, bro you're chatting rubbish whatever um but i know that he he sought that experience numerous times after um and it was in one sense, you might look at it as a kind of a mode of escapism, which I think in DMX's case, because of how so much of his life had panned out, drugs was a, a way to kind of kind of numb the pain of 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 his reality. Um, but in another, like in my friend's example, you know, life was okay for him. So it, it was more that he was in this persistent pursuit of an alternate reality, um, and he wanted to be kind of bigger than himself, bigger than who he was. He was chasing this, I don't know if I, this almost kind of metamorphed figure um, mm. into something that he he wasn't uh, really. Um, and, and I think that that's helpful because when you just, when you kind of think about the, the way that the Bible kind of describes how our, our hearts are, are, bent, are bent towards desires that take us away from God and to the kind of created order rather than the creator himself, um, it makes you appreciate the difficulty that people face with addiction. Mm. Um, I mean, praise God if you're listening to this and you're not somebody who has struggled with addiction and, and we would pray that, you know, it would be something that the Lord would keep you from. Um, but at least just having that appreciation of the way that kind of sin interacts with that enables us to see that actually, if it, not, if it weren't for the grace of God, um, so many of us could be um, addicted to misusing substances but actually, even if we look past the substance abuse, there are so many things that we give ourselves to almost religiously, um, without thinking, on impulse, um, that take our affection away from you know, God and his delight and mm -hmm. towards that thing or that substance. Um, and it becomes enslaving. So, so we know that the, 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 the language of the Bible about um, sin as slavery and how we're so beholden to that and how... Um, our choices and our actions are basically derivative um, of that kind of lifestyle pattern. 
Um, mm. and yeah, I think uh, I read a a great um, a great quote from somebody that who who, who used to struggle um, with with a heroin addiction, and he was just saying, you know, drugs for me were just another kind of broken system um, that I was seeking to drink from. But the reality of Jesus Christ was that actually I kind of I met the living the living water. Um, and began to drink from that instead and it was just I thought was a helpful parallel um, to realize that you know in the same way that kind of um, God chastised his people for chasing after things errantly and running away from him and to things that didn't satisfy um, it's the same way sometimes that addiction could just be a picture of that um, for humans um, and that actually one of the things that we can do as a church um, to encourage people I think in a practical sense, at least anyway, um, if you're dealing with somebody who's an addict, um, you want to encourage them to be as best as possible. Um, cause I think with addiction comes a great deal of shame. So you want to encourage them to be open and honest about the difficulties that they're facing with, um, their addiction. So if they say to you, for example, that they've, they've smoked crack or they've, you know, they've, they've injected heroin, um, in a, in a recent, um you know episode you want there to be a kind of a, 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 a channel of communication where you can at least see you can at least enable that person to see and be honest about that being a problem for them um and you know you know not being so condemnatory i think in your initial discussions um so that you're if you can to the extent that you're able being able to kind of you know, kind of in that Galatians uh, is it six way, kind of restoring mm. them um, in a spirit of gentleness. So just having that open dialogue. Um, and then, yeah, just, I think one of the things that must be super helpful is just to kind of walk them through what, uh, how Jesus was um, willing to embrace those who, as Mary referred to, were the lowly, those who were the outcasts and the downtrodden. Um, and just see his willingness to walk beside, open his arms out to um, desire to save um, those who very many people would be in a heartbeat willing to cast off as, um, I don't know, degenerate or, you know, just constantly making bad decisions. Look, perhaps I'm speaking from a place of privilege and, and apologies if those words are triggering for people who are listening, um, because I've never had to kind of deal um either personally or in my context with um kind of drug or alcohol abuse um but you at least want to encourage people to to just see how jesus identifies because um, because I, I think there's a real there's a real um element of brokenness and um, that you're dealing with with somebody who's in um a state of of addiction um and you want to see how how jesus kind of opens up um himself up to those people um and and is and is willing um to save them Mm. There, was, there was a lot there that was brilliant and <laughs> will be certainly chopped up and um and used in various sort of ways for us that was really helpful i, I think um a couple of a quick smaller points that i would add to that mary said this in the past i think israel's also said this in the past but it's a it's a community project as it were um our, our, our journeys of of sanctification individually um is a community project it isn't necessarily for one church member to do um any any and everything 
um, we all have our different gifts and different capacities, but if we're all banding together um, to support people who have these difficulties and these challenges, our individual efforts can cumulatively be a, an incredible support. And I think one of the things that, Dami, you kind of touched on, and I would just stress more, is that point around Jesus I, I identifying with um, people of the various descriptions you offered. Um, I would just encourage people to see that as a, a, a continuing verb, as it were. Mm. Mm. I think sometimes it can be... Um, it can be it's 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 the, i think it's the one of the, the crazy things about human beings that sometimes you can see grace and then try to talk yourself out of why you can't be a recipient for it and so you may see some of the instances in the gospel where where jesus where jesus actively um takes steps towards people who most of the world are taking steps away from and then you, you you may rationalize and reason in your head why that you can't be that person and why that person is somehow worthy in a way that you want and therefore Jesus can't be like that to you. Um, and I think it's just important to just remember the, the, the never-changing nature of Jesus Christ. He's the same today as he was yesterday and will be forever. And reminding and encouraging people of that um, who are experiencing these things is just, I think, a really helpful thing to do especially as people are sort of navigating the associated feelings of shame as well. And mm -hmm. I think, you know, the Apostle Paul um, has <clears throat> been really helpful for me as I, I think through these things. And um, there, There's obviously different natures of addiction that we've sort of spoken about. Um, but one of the things that I just, I find really tremendous about, about Paul and how he, for example, talks to the church at Corinth is how much he wants to, remind these people of who they are now in Christ um you know he he clearly for example the, the church at Corinth had a number of different moral issues that they were facing and he was going to write to them a stern letter <laughs> and yet he starts the letter off just reminding them of their status as saints mm. um and as he you know even when he rebukes them and he, he he's given them again hard words about you know uh people who make a practice of certain things will not inherit the kingdom he goes on to remind them again but you know and, and such were some of you but you were washed you were clean and he's reminding them of that identity that they, they now possess in Jesus Christ and I think um, certainly at the lower levels of addiction one of the most significant things is actually reminding reminding yourself that in Christ um, there is power to be free and you know you see that in that, that wonderful uh, section of Romans 6, 7, 8, where, where Paul is talking about, you know, the, the nature of sanctification, the nature of the gospel. And he talks about considering yourself dead to sin. Um, and that's an actual, almost a mindset that we have to encourage ourselves and encourage others to, to get into, certainly at the lower levels of addiction, um, to, to, remind, to remind people that as they are in Christ, that, you know, there's certainly... Um, that there's certainly a bit, an ability to overcome these things, not because you instantly possess all strength, but because Jesus does, and that he has broken the power of sin in such a way that by his spirit living through you, um, sin doesn't have to have dominion over you. And I think that those are just powerful reminders to just be 
constantly reiterating to people as they're experiencing addictions of of any kind what what Jesus has accomplished for them in the gospel um and also the final thing is just to say what Jesus um will restore to them in in the world world to come right because one of the things you have to face with addiction is there are certain things that are broken that cannot be unbroken the person who um has alcohol addiction may have irreparably broken relationships with members of their family Mm. and that you know it, it may not be that they have the ability to to make things how they they want it, those things to be. But there's a reminder there that, you know, in the new heavens and the new earth, like there will be no more tears. That relationship that you wish you had had with your child or your daughter or your your wife or whatever, or your husband, and that was ruined by your addictions, um, can be restored in a wonderful way that you can have a type of fellowship that you never experienced on earth, beyond your wildest dreams on earth in, in the life to come. And again, that kind of reminder to, to see that life um, irrespective of the challenges and difficulties and you know brokenness that has been experienced um, in the life to come will be an amazing thing um, I think it's just good good and helpful thoughts to be reminding people of as they're sort of learning to live through and past addiction mm. um just I, I guess a, a question that arises out of one of the points that you are making there about sanctification and perhaps time to bring in a couple of the interesting tweets that one that we were forwarded and, and another one that we've seen um just about kind of dmx um dmx's faith journey um, um somebody tweeted dmx's faith journey was probably the most complex and honest faith walks i've ever seen as a christian he didn't hide his battles he fought through them pouring his pain into his music in a way that was was raw and vulnerable um, and I guess this was the tweet that Paul kind of reached out to us um, to kind of discuss in one of our upcoming episodes. And um, I think I- I'm going to branch out of uh, Kingsley, your your reference to the kind of the journey of sanctification um, and how and ask you how you think when you kind of consider what you understand of DMX's life as he's kind of shared it publicly and you consider the various prayers as he would refer to them as in in each of his albums i don't even don't even know if you've got lyrics to hand for any of them um and the kind of clips that have been circulating online of him kind of praying publicly at concerts and on um tv shows Mm. how have you considered what you know how sanctification may look um for a christian who has so many of these kinds of um historical difficulties that still impact their present day life that's 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 an easy question Danny, isn't it um, <laughs> <laughs> um i think i think one thing that uh sticks out in my mind when we're thinking about sanctification um broadly um is we're, we're talking about the process of becoming more and more like Jesus Christ, more and more um, holy, more and more um, morally right, more and more um, oriented toward God, that whole process. And um, and so when we read the Bible, for example, and you know, there's certain passages that remind us of certain um, moral realities for the Christian. So 
he who steals should steal no more. Like, don't steal. Like, it can be easy to kind of have a binary um, thinking of steal or not, not steal or lie or not lie. Um, when sin is sin is sin is very complex, um, and I would I would encourage people to think about how do I word this? Um, the distance travelled, um, as opposed to necessarily just thinking about um, where they are in in direct obedience, if that makes sense. So, um, when I'm thinking about the person who is, I don't know. Navigation addiction, they're thinking about their sanctification. Um, the process of growing more and more like Jesus Christ for them on a particular issue may start further back, right? So, let's say they were they were they were not regenerate and they were not Christians and whatever happened in their lives, their 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 journey of obedience, their journey of sanctification in a certain juncture may start further back than where certain other people may start from. Um, but as they're thinking about sanctification, they think you should be thinking about that distance travel, that growth that happens and occurs um, as you get closer and closer to the standard. So even if you may feel as though you started, let's say, for for argument's sake, um, the, the standard is what uh, is a zero, and you know you're you're back at minus ten um, when mm. you started. If you yeah. get if you get to minus minus six as you're progressing, you're thinking about your 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 sanctification journey. You are making progress towards that mark of zero. It needn't matter. You shouldn't concern yourself with the person next to you who you feel as though is a minus three already. It's about your your journey of becoming more and more like Jesus. And I think we need to remind people to almost see that, um, which is why, for example, um, and I think Paul does this really helpfully. Paul, Paul doesn't go, um, hey, so you guys know all that I've accomplished um, in my Christian life. And so, you know, I guess really no one is kind of like where I'm at. So I can probably rest on my laurels. He talks about pressing on. He talks about excelling still more. He talks about pushing and stretching because he recognizes that the journey of sanctification isn't a comparative one as between um, human beings. It's, it's, a, it's a one of progression towards Jesus. And I think that's what I would encourage people who are thinking about, you know, their journey of sanctification. Um, who've had experiences of addiction to think about really is that sense of distance traveled towards Jesus um, but also coupled with distance traveled from Jesus towards them um, mm. just you know like when you think about that you the, preaching bro the um oh, oh I've forgotten his um I've forgotten the name of the parable um oh you know the bro- you know the this is crazy you know the brother who basically took his inheritance and was like bye um and then uh was like actually like why am i like why am i here and he tries to come back to his family he's like i'll i'll, I'll be a servant or whatever prodigal son yeah like this is like this is like christianity one-on-one i can't yeah i don't know why. <laughs> oh, <laughs> was like, like bro the description was killing me man <laughs> but like there's that there's, there's that real sense right where like he's coming he, he feels like he's coming back and he's like okay, you know, I, I can only just have this. I've done so much wrong, you know, covered with shame, really. Um, mm. And he's met not with a father that's like, yo, come, okay, you can have that role. He's met with a father that's running out to embrace him. He's met with someone who's coming towards him with more intensity than he's even coming towards them. And I think that's that's a helpful thing to think about in sanctification. Jesus isn't somewhere far away 
at the end of the race saying oh, when is this person going to get here i wish they were faster or so on jesus mm. is as it were alongside pushing at the back giving giving that person wind and strength and willing them and, and empowering them to go on and i think that's 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 how we ought to think about it um and that that is what gives us strength to keep going on especially as you know the journey of sanctification most of the time um, is 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 seeing more and more of the ways in which we need to grow to be more like Jesus. Um, yeah. Yeah. Super helpful point, um, Kingsley. And I think on the point of sanctification as well, because I remember having a conversation with someone yesterday about, uh, can we say DMX was a Christian? You know, someone constantly professing faith, you know, last year had went through Ecclesiastes and, and was asking people to to come to, to, to Christ. Um, watched the recent episode, um, interview with him um on drink champs and again you know laboring much of the same and then you know someone could say yeah he was he, i think he's, he's he fathered 15 children um That's he right, was yeah. married he had four children with his with his wife so you're thinking oh, these where did these other 11 kids come from um so of course you can look at someone like dmx and and look at his life and think mm, and and not not even to make a case that whether dmx was a christian or not but the, the points that that kingsley raised are, are so helpful in terms of just holding on to christ and what that looks like and and you know when we look at the the, the patriarchs in the Bible, <laughs> scandalous sin. You know, I was just reading Genesis twenty and thinking Abraham, like, you really saw that your wife twice, like, just said, yeah, just take her. Like, so many things that I've <laughs> seen in the scriptures of just men and women, you know, doing things that that are shocking, and yet God is able to keep them. And I, and I think with, with sanctification, you know, God has given us grace to to overcome sin. But because we live in a, a sinful world, we will have that temptation. We will, ha- we will have that struggle. You, you may know someone who from age 17, when they get saved to age 18, may struggle with one sin or another. Um, but as long as they're uh, holding on to Christ, repenting, trusting in his finished work, the Lord is able to keep them to the end. Um, and I think that's that's what we have to be reminded about. Um, of course, as, as Kingsley said, as we progress, we become holier, we become more obedient, but, but we still are grieved by our sin and that causes us to tr- trust in him more um always until we see him in glory amen and what is killing me about that is mary basically said um i'm gonna get my reference right genesis 20 like i know <laughs> no no, no. <laughs> in the prodigal son no 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 i'm done my guy said what's that thing who's that what's that person called that you, uh, <laughs> thinking, uh, the prodigal son <laughs> oh, um no, I, I I think you both made um, some really really excellent points there, just um, about the nature of sanctification. Um, I, I think this even this conversation was partly inspired by um, a tweet that I saw from Show Baraka. Um, who Man like Mary, this this is this would I be right to say he's a a Christian rapper? Would I be? Yeah, um, he hasn't released he hasn't released a, an album in a minute, but yeah, uh, okay. Christian rapper, legend, um, activist as well. Is he um, good? Like, just as yeah, a, as a yeah. I, I think Shrebarak is good. If you know Reach Records, he was one of the one of the. He was on their label for a minute, um, and he was he was probably the the pioneer of social justice rap as well. I don't want to I don't want to term it that, but was one of the okay. earlier um, speakers about you know race justice from a rapper. And in early days, you know, he was shunned, but now so many people are adopting the way he raps and stuff. So yeah, man's man's a legend. That question was egregious, by the way. No. Is, he, is he good? <laughs> how would he be good? Uh, listen, to all be of good us on this pod particularly know 
the the shared views. I'm of... not gonna let you finish. <laughs> busy listening to your hard, hardcore rap. Come on, listen to some Jesus rap. <laughs> no, but I guess yeah. No, sorry. Besides the point. No, he 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 tweeted something interesting actually as well, which I I, I think um, maybe maybe a temptation at least for a number of people. And I think Mary, you were having a conversation about whether um, you know we can consider DMX a Christian, which I don't think is what we're trying to, yeah. um, you know, none of us are able to make that judgment. Um, but he, he tweeted something interesting saying that as a young man, I quickly wrote off the faith of DMX. Now I understand the complex subjectivity of his spirituality too well. Um, may his life teach us to be honest about pain, success um, and self-reflection. And I guess as you guys have just been speaking about um, sanctification, um, I think, it was helpful in that the t- I think the tweet was helpful in at least in one sense that as you guys have 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 described I th- I think sanctification we can certainly describe as a an onward progression a trend towards greater um Christ likeness certainly if we're kind of using arrows you're you're trending in one direction um I think some people may have taken umbrage with this kind of complex subjectivity of his spirituality um because you know sometimes you might you might hear the way DMX prays and it's very, it's melodic. He's doing it almost in like a rap form. Or you might look at some elements of his life and say, hmm, there's cause for concern there. So I think some people in response to the tweet were kind of like shouting Shobaraka down in a sense that, oh, you know, um, what's, com- what's complex or subjective about faith? And I think all of us 100% agree that there's kind of like, kind of like there's only one way um, to be saved and, and that's by trusting in Jesus Christ so I don't think there's any um, confusion about that specifically but I think the, the point about sanctification is it's not a one-size-fits-all yes we will all trend in a direction um, but it won't look the same for all of us and I think for you know for people who have the context and the backgrounds um like a DMX that are Christians, um, their journey of sanctification will be far more challenging potentially um, than it is for, you know, somebody who, praise God, um, they may look back at their life and say, you know, I was a sinner, um, but God kept me from the worst extent of the sins that I could have committed. Um, and so they don't have all of the kind of the baggage um, that comes in the life of somebody like a DMX. Um, I think when I first became a Christian, and this is not me shooting my church members or um, my elder, but there was a, there was a sense in which I kind of looked at a lot of the people that were around me, and I was wondering if all Christians kind of look the same, mm. um, because what I was seeing was a kind of um, yeah, there was a kind there was a kind of there was a manner of speaking, there was. Uh, some form of manner of dress. Um, everyone seemed to be kind of. Damn <laughs> 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 teams. What, what you Tammy was looking for teams. Where, teams? <laughs> where, the, where <laughs> the teams at? Where the full way? I was looking for the Tims in the new era fitted, man, <laughs> and big and big rope chains. Nah, but no, I, I was I was kind of just like I was a bit struck by the fact that you know, and I think a lot of people perhaps sometimes who are outside the church they use the, the they use this is a stick to beat the church with. I, I was curious at least as to why um, there, there, there seemed to be some um, 
like commonality, so much commonality in the way that people were just kind of experiencing their, their Christian journey. And, you know, I, I was coming in as a new believer. So, you know, I, it wasn't, that I was coming in to try and break the mold, but at least um, it was a bit confusing to me. And I guess as I've grown older and as we've all matured, I think we've come to appreciate that. Yes, that, that, that point about justification remains the same. It, it's only by Jesus Christ we're justified, but actually um, those journeys of growth um, and those trajectories um, can look very different. For some people, they can be perhaps more linear and for other people, it can really oscillate. Um, they can they can have really deep periods of struggle and, and battles with sin and they can backslide. So <laughs> what I was saying was like an arrow going in one direction. It might not always kind of look like that even. You know, there may be, I don't say loops mm. and um, it might trend backwards for a while. Um, but actually, I was just, I was also thinking about when, you know, when the, the Bible speaks of, you know, people from every tribe, nation and tongue mm. um, being in glory. It, it doesn't say this specifically, but it, it it made me think about the fact that there'll be people of all various life contexts as well. Mm. Um, and that means you might be, you know, you, you might be the, I don't know, the banker in the city of London um, who lived a very kind of privileged life. And so was. You, you might have been, you know, spared some of the the hardships of another person who was raised in the inner city and fought through drugs and was nearly aborted and, um, you know, grew up in foster homes and care um, versus another person in the jungle of, of an entirely different location who only knew vegetation for food and stuff like that. Do you know what I mean? Like, it was just an amazing thing to reflect on the fact that, you know, as well as the tribe, nation and tongues, there'll be people of various contexts who's life challenges will have differed um, and they will all have fought their various races and still have, by God's grace, achieved that crown of glory. Um, so something to be just to be mindful of, I guess, when you're even having that that conversation, um, that the Lord saves people from every walk of life. Um, and, and, you know, Dami, even if, if, if I might chime in here, what might even be actually interesting is is it, it might it, it might be really simple for many of us to kind of look at our particular contexts and almost see Christianity expressed in similar ways to what's natural to us hmm. but actually it may it may well we, we we are unlikely to be the majority um when it comes to heaven like oh, facts, yeah what your what your context looks like is unlikely to be the majority when it comes to heaven um especially if you know you come from a context which is um you know middle class affluent kind of Britishish. Um and I'm I'm saying that from from the lens of how Christ talks about, for example, how difficult it is to for, for let's say rich people to enter into heaven. Um and the many references he makes to, you know, um uh, the kingdom being for 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 people of an insert, you know, someone who comes from a context where um they're not necessarily the ones that are most um loved and adored by society you know paul talks about the church at corinth and he he, he describes them as you know <laughs> you guys were not, like don't get big-headed you like you guys in the world you were not those guys um and and i think it's quite interesting to actually reflect on that because it it, it can be easy as you you're kind of noting to, to think the majority around me looks like this and and therefore you make this assumption you may not say it and therefore christianity must look like this um 
when actually the, the truth it the truth is actually much broader than that. Christianity in your context might be practiced that particular way, but it may look different and it's completely okay if it's within the confines of scripture in a different context. And I think that's mm. that's that's something that, you know, as we think about heaven, as we think about doing life with different people, as we think about um yeah, just like the journey of sanctification, I think that's a helpful thing for us to think about. Just actually that, you know, <laughs> heaven will be probably far more different than most of us imagine. Um, and the people in heaven will be um, more diverse than any category that we can put on. I think, the, do you know what, interesting, I think the public prayer thing is something that a lot of people seem to be um, hanging on to about him. Like the very kind of public show of his faith, if I can call it that. In what in way? What, a, a negative like, or positive? It's a, in a positive way. Mm. Um, so that's so that's that's the I think that's the the point that's made in the tweet that that Paul sent to us about um, his faith being um, unhidden, mm. um, his faith being um, public and raw and vulnerable, and you're actually seeing um, even when he's reading through, for example, the Ecclesiastes free text you're seeing a person who's actually grappling with the scripture as they read like you can actually see the the meditation on the point of um oh what was the what was the specific point itself it was the um a time to embrace and a time to not embrace yeah um and, and just and just seeing the the very i don't know probably in that at that point in his head he was just thinking of perhaps certain relationships um that maybe he had come across in his personal life or in the industry um that meant that as he was reading that scripture, it was resonating with him that actually, you know, um, there were various seasons um, for 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 certain things. A time for crying and a time for laughing. A time for mourning and a time for dancing. A time for throwing stones. A time for embracing and a time for avoiding embraces. A time for ooh ooh. A time for embracing and a time for avoiding embraces. What? Come on. Come on, come on, come on. A time for searching and a time for losing. A time for keeping and a time for throwing away. A time for tearing, a time for repairing. A time for keeping silent and a time for speaking. A time for loving and a time for hating. A time for war, a time for peace. I mean, like I said, it goes back to, you know, you gonna start with a prayer, you gonna do this with a prayer? Yo, there are no words more powerful than the book. And your prayer, your own prayer, will do a lot better than someone else praying for you. I think the the only other thing I was going to say about this because I can I, I just what, can I just jump on. in before you quickly turn. I think I think um, on that point as well. Um, when you're thinking about the public displays of faith, hmm. you have to think about it through the lens of who DMX is and who he's been to the world, right? Yeah. Right. Maybe for him, he may not have seen it as such a big thing to display a part of who he was to the world. We can't speculate on that. But actually, for someone who is DMX to be so open with his faith in that way, I think is a remarkable thing. I mean, like, how many, how many, how many kids from his, con from, from backgrounds like his and, um, areas grew up in areas like his have seen someone like him who was was trying to love the Lord in public. Mm. Like I think that's so powerful. 
And I don't think he would have got plaudits for it, right? I don't think people necessarily at the time would have just been going, oh, this is like an amazing thing, kudos to this man or whatever. Mm. Maybe in hindsight and on reflection, lots of us looking back on it like are appreciative of it. But at the time, I'm not sure that this was something that was was a net benefit for him. And yet he was still publicly willing to display his faith and also the fact that he was learning in his faith, right? Mm. So we'll edit in a clip here, but one of the prayers that he prayed, like one section of that I just found so powerful where he was just talking about the fact that he was like, Lord, he was like, Lord, I'm learning, teach me. And like that posture, right? That posture when Christ talks about his, his children who um, inherit the kingdom, like that posture is just a remarkable thing for us to to sort of learn from to, and to, to try to emulate in our lives, not to think that we've arrived, but to actually constantly be, be at the foot of Jesus thinking that, you know, Lord, I don't know, teach me. Mm. Yeah. For sure. I think, I think especially when you consider the nature of DMX's raps and public personality, as you were talking about with somebody who was quite, who was aggressive, who was braggadocious, who was, um, you know, very, very um, just kind of bullish in his personality. Um, and then you see that element of humility and coming to something that was new to him and actually having to kind of, yeah, make himself small and appreciate he needed to learn um, mm. and come under submission um, in a way um, to be taught, which I, which I, which I think, yeah, is, com- is completely um, agreeable. That's remarkable. And I think he actually, he made this point. There was an interview a few years ago, I think around like 2016, because he was considering, I don't actually know if he, if he ever made it into, but he was talking about going into ministry. And I yeah. think the question was basically kind of posed to him, like, yo, how do you think you will be received by your fans? Um, how do you think people will, will understand perhaps the changing nature of your music? And he actually, I think, yeah, he, he agreed with what Kingsley was saying there, that actually, well, no, I think Kingsley was saying it, that might have been a danger to him, but he saw it in a positive light and almost like you've been saying, um, there are so many people potentially who have um, this side to them or are kind of keen to explore these concepts but won't do it publicly or almost just kind of don't know how to address this. Um, and he thinks if he can be a bridge to enabling more people to explore um, faith or um, something that they've considered as as part of life's journey, um, that he'd be willing, more than willing, um, to, be, to be used in that way. Um, so I don't think he ever looked at it as something that was particularly burdensome or um, something that would be to his detriment. Um, when he spoke, when he spoke about it, he seemed to speak quite positively about wanting to embrace that challenge of being DMX with his history and his ongoing personal circumstances and the challenges that they raised, but also being somebody who wanted to to publicly make known um, that he was a person who prayed, who was a person who read his Bible, um, who was a person who sought the Lord. Um, I think that's I think that's definitely a very very interesting dynamic um, when you just kind of consider his life. Father God, I am just learning how to pray. Bear with me. First, I thank you for the life of everyone that's here with me. Then I thank you for the love you give me. Why? I don't know. I don't deserve it, and it hurts inside. Many a nights I cried and called your name out loud, but didn't call you when I was doing good. Too proud. And still you gave me love. 
wasn't used to that. Um, you know, as you were saying that like DMX being who he is and his personhood, yeah, and mm. like having his public faith. One of the things that came to my head, I don't know if you guys guys have seen that video of that that song that is like, um, oh, um, <laughs> <laughs> um my Lord, 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 no, no, my Lord and Savior Jesus. It's not a DMX video. My Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, I'm gonna punch you in the face. You know. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> What are you guys? What are you guys on this episode? No, that that video is so funny. I don't know what I'm talking about. I remember it. I won't be able to find it, but I know what he's talking about. That is literally anyway, Mary, I'll find it and I'll send it to you. <laughs> um, no, we should reference Kirk Franklin's he's got a gun and he's ready to use it in the name of Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> oh, fam, in recent weeks we've seen that Kirk Franklin's anyway it's true it's true it's true, it's true, it's true. maybe that's the episode topic anyway Chris, yeah Chris is failing in public um, <laughs> come on put off the red nose reindeer had a very shiny nose oh, and if you ever saw him you would even say it close come on come on all of the other reindeer used to laugh and call him names they never let Paul Rudolph join any reindeer games uh one of, one of the points that actually I think would be a good note to end on. Um, one of the, one of the one of the beautiful things. So we so, we spoke about some of the challenges and difficulties of social media. One of the beautiful things about um, social media, um, maybe, maybe it's not beautiful. One of the good things about social media is the ability to share information broadly and widely, and it can be used in beautiful ways. And so, as you know the news of DMX's passing broke and you know my my timeline anyway was flooded with you know people sharing kind of like how how his life had impacted them I think one of the things that I saw on on the next day which I think was a Saturday was just so many random and unexplainable wonderful videos and conversations around DMX like his life and like I saw him like dancing at an Albanian wedding and I was like (laughs) I had no context for why he was there. It, it didn't even make sense in my head. But I think, I think that's one of the, the the wonderful things to actually think about when you're, you know, we, we spoke about how impactful Ecclesiastes three was for him as he was he was reading that passage. But um, it strikes me that he was a person who recognised, in some sense, the value of time and was someone who was keen to, to you know, to to to, to live fully and presently in the moments of his life that he experienced and mm. that was that was something for me that was just like yeah just like really just deeply kind of encouraging to see well not no I just I wonder Mary and you know Dami were there any kind of videos or clips or stories that you kind of saw on the timeline um, or came across and um, that you didn't know about DMX before but kind of like impacted you in a positive way yeah, one of my f- favorite clips of DMX is at, um, I think he's with his daughter in a theme park, and they're on a on a ride. And as a, you know, the typical the typical videos where the person is shouting, and so his daughter was you know screaming, very very afraid, and he kept saying, you know, "Daddy's here, Daddy's here." And I've seen it multiple times, but watching it after his death was very very emotional. And I was just thinking, wow, like thinking about his children, thinking about how he was as a father. Um, yeah, and just being reminded of um, how he constantly wanted to support his family. Um, there, there's another story about a, a girl who said that she forgot she forgave her dad um, and his addiction because she spoke to DMX 
about it. Um, and again, just just the type of person that DMX was, always willing to to have conversations with with ordinary people. Um, funny clip was the the one, the Breakfast Club one, where he's talking about how much he hates Drake. Um, <laughs> I think DMX, DMX was just so funny. Um, but yeah, but, but, it, it, sorry, sorry to cut you off, Mary, but yeah. just even on that point, the beautiful thing is he goes back to the Breakfast Club a couple of years later after Drake has sampled "How's It Going Down," mm-hmm. one of his songs, yeah. and. Um, He's able to actually, you see the growth just in the mindset of actually saying, wow, this was somebody who as a young person kind of looked up to me and the way that I thought about him and spoke about him in that previous interview. Um, like I, I basically, I, I want to retract that energy that I was, I was giving that was, mm. that was kind of speaking in that, in that vein of um, that kind of pride and, and kind of distaste when actually um, I could have probably checked myself then and actually have, you know, have actually now gone to build a relationship with that person just off of um, speaking to them. Um, so even sort of growth just in that small, mm-hmm. that small thing. Yeah. Yeah. Any funny stories, Dami, about of DMX? Nah, funny. I'm, Interesting. All, all, yeah. <laughs> all the, all, most of the ones for me are kind of just like rap related. Um, um, but I think one of the ones that I did read, which I guess I wasn't, like you know, I don't know the person, so I'm not able to verify. What, but it was just like, I think some somebody mentioned about how he was. He came into a diner at like three or four a.m. and they had worked <laughs> like a super late shift, and they were now like doing the mopping up on the floors. And he came in, probably came in. I don't know. He might have been on the road. Came in from a show, or whatever. Came to grab a bite to eat, and was just like, Do you know what? You've probably been working how many hours? Let me grab that mop from you. I'll help you clean up. You go take a break. Um, and I think, yeah, that that's just, that's a delightful um, thing to think about. Somebody who's got the worldwide fame, the claim that he has, has had the kind of success as, you know, like, let, it, it shouldn't be mistaken. He's achieved feats that kind of like nobody um, in either his kind of class in music or or just so many people have not even reached um, but just, yeah, to, to, to go in and see, you know, somebody's had a long day at work. How can I help? Do you know what I mean? And not feel that he was too big, um, to do that. I thought that was just a really nice, um, anecdote of, again, just seeing the humanity of a person, particularly when, I, you know, I was concerned that so many of the, st- the uh, stories and publications in the aftermath could be focused on the, um, more challenging aspects of his life. Mm-hmm. Um, so many of the stories and the videos and anecdotes have been very humanizing. Um, yeah. And I think, yeah, like Kingsley was saying earlier, you know, social media has the power. There, there's lots of narrative power in how um, media itself can be used. But one of the good things about social media is that actually untold stories can come to the fore and you can learn so much about people that you didn't previously appreciate that paints them in you know a more positive light than perhaps if left to kind of mainstream media publications um you might not you might not so you might not see um mm-hmm. so that was that was that was lovely to read um and yeah i guess, I guess it it's a, a challenge to us all i guess to you know no matter how many um heights we scale um to, to always be humble enough to pick up a mop <laughs> yeah and and an encouragement to us all right um, because we spoke about throughout this the the crippling nature of addictions um, 
And nevertheless, we also saw in DMX's life um, how someone can scale to un, un, unknown heights um, in spite of the challenges um, they face with addictions. See, to live is to suffer. But to survive, well, that's to find meaning in the suffering. Hey yo, I'm slipping, I'm falling, I can't get up. Hey yo, I'm slipping, I'm falling, I can't get up. Hey yo, I'm slipping, I'm falling, I got to get up. Get back on my feet so I can tear. I think that's a, a good way to, to kind of end. And this is where we play, there was Brenda. T- <laughs> I definitely not played that. No. Okay, wait, Mary, you just gotta do.